Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Epiphany Church. I am glad that you are watching. I um, want you to know, if you are in a spot in life where you're like, I really need this week to be in church, pastor. We have a limited number of folks that we are allowing into the space. We don't have childcare, and uh, due to the spike in infections and all that, we are not having a full-on service. But, but if you're watching and you're like, I really need to be there, Pastor, next week. I really need to be there lifting up my hands, you know, praising God through all the stuff I'm going through. Just hit me up. Hit me up, and uh, more than likely, uh, I'll tell you, hey, we got a spot for you. There's enough space for you. Amen? And uh, I'm going to pray as we get into this word. We have been in this series in the book of Hebrews that we have been calling Faithful. And I do this every week. Every week, when I'm done, the whole process of writing the sermon, which starts on Monday, and I'm, I'm, I'm reading, and I'm writing the scripture out, and I'm praying through it, and I'm listening to it, and I'm, I'm reading all kinds of stuff, studying all kinds of stuff. And when we get to the point where I actually get to the, the notes that I'm going to use to help me preach this message I, I, I lift it up and I just say, Lord, take this rag, pour some oil on it, and set it on fire. Amen. And, and I want to encourage you that in all of your service to others, your service to your family, the, you know, the, the, the little things you do, cooking dinner, washing the dishes, all the, all the little things that you think are unseen, you can say the same prayer. Yeah, in a sense, it's just rags. But the Holy Spirit can pour oil on those rags. It can light it on fire. And can use these like little acts of love. And can use it in our life to change us and to change the people around us. Let me pray for us. We do ask, Father, that you would set this word this message on fire. I pray, God, that you would be with us as we read your word. We already learned from Hebrews 4 several weeks ago that your word is active. It is alive. So it's not just that we are reading it, examining it, but you read us. You examine our motives. You read our hearts. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do that even now as I read these words. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, we got another long passage. I'm going to read all of chapter 7. We're in the book of Hebrews, chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of God most high, met Abram and blessed him as he returned from defeating the kings. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness. Talking about Melchizedek. Then also king of Salem, meaning the king of peace. Without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, he remains a priest forever. 
Now consider how great this man was. Even Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of his plunder to him. The sons of Levi who received the the priestly office have a command according to the law to collect a tenth from the people. That is, from their brothers and sisters, though they also have descended from Abraham. But one without this lineage collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. Without a doubt, the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, men who will die receive a tenth. But in the other case, Scripture testifies that he lives. And in a sense, Levi himself, who receives a tenth, has paid a tenth through Abraham, for he was still within his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection came through the Levitical priesthood, for on what basis of it the people received the law... What further need was there for another priest to appear? Said to be according to the order of Melchizedek and not according to the order of Aaron. For when there is a change of priesthood, there must be a change of the law as well. For, the one, for one of these things are spoken about to being a different tribe. No one from it has served at the altar. Now, it is evident that our Lord came from Judah... And Moses said nothing about that tribe concerning priests. And this becomes clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears. Who did not become a priest based on legal regulation about physical descent, but based on the power of an indestructible life? For it has been testified, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So, the previous command is annulled because it was weak and unprofitable, for the law perfected nothing, but a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. None of this happened without an oath, for others became priests without an oath, but, the, but he became a priest with an oath made by the one who said this to him, the Lord has sworn and he will not change his mind. You are priests forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has also become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now many have become Levitical priests since they, have been, they are prevented by death from remaining in office. But because he remains forever, he holds this priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save completely. Somebody say completely. Those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. For this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do, first for their own sins and then those for the people. He did this once for all time when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the promise of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been perfected forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen?
So what are we, who are we talking about today? Well, in some ways we're talking about Melchizedek, but as any preacher worth salt, right, we're talking about Jesus. And we're going to see how Melchizedek helps us see Jesus better, because that's what the author of Hebrews does. That's the whole point of introducing Melchizedek, is to give us like another layer. I don't know if anybody is old enough to remember when they didn't have PowerPoint, they didn't have projectors like this, but they had those, uh, those lamps, and they would put the screen uh, down, and you could, you could have an outline, and you could put it over the lamp, and then it would show up on the wall. And then you could have different colored ones. <laughs> so you could have different layers. And, and you could put it, you know, one off, you could have the questions, and then you'd have one with the answers in red, and you could put the answers in red over top of it. And, and that's what we're doing tonight. We're looking at Jesus, and we're seeing yet another layer. And we've been doing this for weeks. We started off with the prophets. Hebrews 1. In times past, God spoke through various ways and means. He, he spoke through his servants, the prophets. And when we talked about the angels and, and God's plan for using angels as ministering spirits, but that, that Jesus is actually greater than the angels. And then we talked about the high priest that came from Levi. And how priests were sympathetic men who would, you would come and you'd bring your, your sacrifice. And you'd put your hand on the lamb and you would say in front of the priest the things you did. And then the priest would sacrifice that lamb. Because there has to be a payment. There, there's a, there's, listen, when you sin, and this is still true, in 2020, when you sin, there has to be payment. <laughs> and so we looked at many different things, and tonight we're going to look at Melchizedek. And we're going to look at it in different ways. We're going to look at it historically, biblically, philosophically, and practically. And I'm going to go quick, and it's going to be a little bit like teaching, just because it's a long chapter and there's a lot here, but I want us to get into it. Amen? So historically, first of all, we only got three texts in the Bible that tell us about this man, Melchizedek. Now, we have the, the, the different spots in Hebrews that tell us about Melchizedek. And then we have the psalm that King David wrote, Psalm 110, which is the most quoted scripture in the New Testament. So I encourage you to go read Psalm 110. And if you have one of these red Bibles that we give out, and if you need a Bible, you can have one for free, you'll notice that in this translation, every time, every time the, the New Testament, every time these writings that are about Jesus and written by his followers, every time it's quoting the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, it's written in bold. And you'll see Throughout this passage, the author of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 110 again and again. And then you have the original passage in Genesis, where the patriarch meets this mysterious priest-king called Melchizedek. But here's the thing. 
By the time that the author of Hebrews is writing, they knew all these legends. They had all these wild stories about Melchizedek. In their minds, they aren't thinking of just a few verses in Genesis, and they're not just thinking about Psalm 110, where the Messiah is going to be someone that comes after the order of Melchizedek, this, uh, this strange Canaanite priest who just shows up in a one passage in Genesis. They're, they're thinking, they're reading this, they're hearing this, and they're hearing all these other legends, all these other things that come up. And, and, and it's important to know that when you read the New Testament, you'll, you'll read things that you won't see in the Old Testament. You'll, you'll, you'll see Stephen preaching a, a great sermon, and he'll, he'll talk about the, the names of the two people that performed the false miracles for Pharaoh. But then you go and read Exodus, and it just says there were two of them, and it doesn't give them a name. And when you start to get familiar with all these other books, which are incredibly helpful as references, you begin to realize that the people in the New Testament especially had all kinds of awareness of all these interpretations, all these legends, all these stories, all of these different point of view about the Old Testament. Now Melchizedek was especially, you know, they really thought about this guy and one of the legends was, and it was written around the time of Jesus, one of the legends was that, was that Moses had a sister, and she was pregnant after they got off the ark. She was pregnant, but she died. And so they covered her up with a blanket. They were going to come back later to take care of the body. When they came back to take care of the body, they moved the blanket away. And sure enough, there's this child fully developed with that priestly gear that I preached about a few weeks ago, right? And he raised up his hands and blessed them. <laughs> and they called him Melchizedek. There's all kinds of other legends about Melchizedek being this, this prophet that would come at the very end of time. Or that he had a half-angelic background. Why does this matter? Well, we, this is what matters. We know more in the last hundred years, we know more in the last hundred years about so many things in the Bible than we did like 500 years ago. And when you think about it, it seems kind of like, how could that be? Wouldn't it make more sense to say that, you know, back in the day they knew a lot, and now we've lost that over time? But here's some of the reasons why, and this is one of the most famous stories. There was a shepherd boy by the Dead Sea 100 years ago that was, you know, chasing one of his sheep. <laughs> Familiar biblical <laughs> picture, Right? And he spots some caves by the sea, and he goes into the sea, and what does he find? He finds all these pieces of pottery, and inside the pottery there are scrolls. And there's all these scrolls that were lost to history. 
and we keep finding more and more of these scrolls where we find older and older portions of the Bible and other books that aren't the Bible but give us all kinds of background information because they were written around the same time. And, and one of the things that Christians, when they've read this passage, they didn't have the background. They didn't, they didn't know what all these theories about Melchizedek didn't see as importance. So they read Hebrews, and they come up to this conclusion. They'd say, oh, well, so Melchizedek it is Jesus. Melchizedek is Jesus in the Old Testament. He just showed up. So I guess that's what the author's saying, because it says he resembled and, and, and he had no beginning or end because he didn't have a genealogy. And so that's been one of the ways that, that people have interpreted this. Except now, except now we know more. Amen. Now we, we know more. One of the things we know is that early Canaanite religion, early Canaanite religion, they worshipped El Elyon. Now, if you are a Bible student, you'll realize when you think of Canaanites, what do you think of? If you're familiar with the scriptures, you're like, didn't the Canaanites worship Baal? And, and this is what happens, is that over time, over time, the, the Canaanites, which were just some folks in the Near East, kind of came up with the Hebrew people. They worshipped El Elyon, which is the Most High God, and it's the same way that the Hebrews would title the Most High God. And later, they started to worship Baal, which is the Lord of Heaven, the Lord of Lightning, the Lord of the Sky. And there were many, many other gods, right? And we know that one of the things that we read about in the Bible is that um, people would bring their children and they would place their children in the arms of the statue of Baal and that they would sacrifice their children to him. But back in the time of Abraham, apparently there's a priest who followed the old ways. His name was Melchizedek. Amen? And he is described in the text as a worshiper of the Most High God. And we know from reading the sources that there was a time when the Canaanites worshipped the Most High God. I, I've been on the mission field. Studied different groups of people. This is something that we find throughout the world. That, that most people, and it's not just in like the Near East, because you could explain it away if it was just in the Near East, and you're like, well, they have similar stories. They have a creator. They have a flood. Yes, all that's true. They were all near each other, and they have similar stories. But then you go to South America, deep into Africa, Southeast Asia, go everywhere, and what do you find? You find out that people often have this spirituality where they tell a story of there was a most high creator God, and somewhere along the way, we lost connection with that God. And now, our lives are ruled by the forces of nature. Now, our lives are ruled by the ancestors. Now, we worship angels. Now, we worship all these other things. But, but there's this memory of a most high God. 
that we do not know personally. So let's look at this text a little bit. What happens? Melchizedek enters into this standard patriarch, has a victory over foreign king story. In some ways, if you didn't have David write about Melchizedek, it'd be easy to imagine like you would just read through this story and you'd be like, this is another military conquest story. You, you wouldn't like really sit there and think about it that much. You'd just be like, yeah, so what happens is, is that, you remember Lot? Remember Lot's wife? You remember the whole Sodom and Gomorrah thing? Well, before all that went down, Lot had a, had, a, had a history of getting into trouble. He was Abraham's cousin. Anybody have a cousin that just keeps getting into trouble? And in them getting into trouble, it gets you into trouble. And that's what happened with Abraham. Abraham had Lot, and Lot was continually getting into trouble. And then Abraham would have to save his neck. And at one point, this, this, this alliance of ten kings comes together. And they take Lot, and they take all of his stuff, and they have him kidnapped. And Abraham has to go out, and he rounds up a bunch of guys, and he takes back Lot. And he rescues him. And then this priest shows up out of nowhere, this, this Canaanite priest, and he blesses Abraham. And Abraham gives, a ten, he gives 10% of all the stuff he just took I mean, there's no way to sanitize it. It's loot. He just went to war. They just grabbed what they could. That's what you did. And he took that and he placed it at the feet of this stranger. And he got blessed. But as the author Hebrews notes, you see in verse 2, there's something different about this priest. He's got a name and a title. His name, Melchizedek, so that, that, that last part of Melchizedek is where we get the Hebrew word for righteousness, right? But he's also the king of Salem, which should sound familiar. That's the word for peace, for shalom. And the author of Hebrews like, points it out. He is the king of righteousness and the king of peace. And I want you to know that in Hebrew, they marry together. They marry together blessing and righteousness. So the same word for blessing and the same word for righteousness. It's one word. There's this, in our minds, righteousness is this like, put it your, up your upper lip just do the right thing and there's no joy in it but in God's way of thinking and God's people way of thinking the really the blessed woman the blessed man is the righteous one and then we also see this marriage in Hebrew with this word shalom where there's this sense of peace and what we think of peace we think in mainly in terms of like not being anxious not having panic attacks, being okay, being... And, but the Hebrew word is so much more loaded than that. It's talking about wholeness. It's talking about taking the broken pieces, fitting them back together, and making things right. And so what you have in Melchizedek in his name is this one who is the king of righteousness and the king of peace. 
And as we see in verses 5 to 10, we see his origin. We see that every other person in the book of Genesis, it goes out of its way to tell you who their father was, who their father was, who their father was, because this is what the whole book is about. The whole book is about these different lineages. And to try to help the the Hebrew people to understand, who do we come from? Who are we? What were our fathers like? And then you have this, this dude shows up, and he doesn't have any father mentioned, or descendants mentioned. And so the author of Hebrews says, he resembles, we're talking about Jesus, resembles this king priest and we see him quote extensively from psalm 110 what does this mean all this bible and we can go so much more into it we can talk about the blessing we can talk about the tribute we can talk about so many other aspects of it but for the sake of time What does this mean, like big picture? Well, I want you to see this. There's two priesthoods. There's the priesthood of Aaron. There's the priesthood of Melchizedek. Okay? And in the priesthood of Aaron, there is a separation between the kings and the priests. And that was really important. And then you see in Melchizedek, you have a king who is also a priest. Now, God's people suffered in slavery in Egypt, and they knew something that a lot of us know and think about, and we talk a lot about nowadays, that power is dangerous, and when you put all of your chips on one person or one place, it's extremely dangerous. And... In fact, so much of the Old Testament is about separating the powers. So much of the Old Testament is like, you're going to be my people. You're going to do things differently. Guess what? The widow, the orphan, the foreigner in your land, you're going to take care of them. Guess what? You're, gonna not, you're not going to harvest from your whole farm. No, you're going to leave some of that for people who have no land so they can come to and, and they can harvest from the corners of your field There was all kinds of laws and cultures which all pointed to this reality that you don't own everything you have, and that's part of the tithe, brothers and sisters. You don't own everything you have. And so what happens is that you got these 12 brothers, and one of the brothers doesn't get land when they come into the land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey. They've been hearing about this as slaves in Egypt. Now they cross over the Jordan. Now they're in the promised land. And one of the sons gets told, guess what? You get no land. you got to understand, in ancient times, land is all the potential wealth for all your generations to come. But what what does he say to Levi? He says, you're not going to get land. You're going to get 10%. We're going to have these festivals. People are going to come to Jerusalem. They're going to bring their gifts. And you're going to get these gifts from all the others. 
And they're going to use these gifts to worship God's people and to take care of the poor. And so there's a reason why you have these separations. Now imagine if you have a priest who is a king. And they're a bad priest and a bad king. The damage they can do. Because they're not only making moves as a king because they have the power to do it. But they're also telling you that this comes from God. Right? Power can be dangerous. And some of us have experienced that. We put all of our chips in one person in a relationship. Or we went to a church and we put all of our chips into one pastor or one person. And we got hurt. We got burnt. But I want to remind you tonight, brothers and sisters, that power in the hands of God Almighty is for our greatest good. God is able to wield unlimited power and still be good. He is righteous, blessed. He is full of peace. He is the one who fixes broken things. Amen? So I want to kind of, as we do often in these messages, and we've been learning as a church, when we read a text, we write it out, right? We do our soap, we write our scripture, we look at the, what's there, the observation. We now got to look at the so what, the practical. This is great. Thank you, Pastor Joe, for telling me about this man whom scripture has three accounts of. They're each a thousand years apart. <laughs> Abraham's a thousand years from David, and then David's a thousand years from the time of Jesus. Thank you for all this These Bible facts, Pastor Joe. So what? Verse 26. We see that because Jesus is from this different order, different kind of priest. He's the kind of priest who never dies. He's the kind of priest that doesn't make sacrifices but is the sacrifice. Because of this, we have such a high priest that meets our needs. Amen? We've been calling this series Faithful. What I want you to hear tonight is that unfaithful, not being faithful, it doesn't just mean being straight up disobedient. The author of Hebrews goes long into these arguments of why we needed another priesthood. He says, if the priesthood of Aaron was good enough with all of its laws and all of its rituals, then we wouldn't need another priesthood. We wouldn't need God himself to break into history to rescue us. We wouldn't need Jesus to come. He wouldn't need him to hang on the cross for our sins. We wouldn't need him to rise again. But as it is, brothers and sisters, this is what I want you to hear. Faithfulness is not just don't be wiling out, disobedient, just do your own thing. Yes. Amen. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. Don't go out and just be rebellious. Amen. But there's more to it than that. What does it mean to be faithful? 
It means to not look to yourself, but to look to the high priest. I, I remember a young guy came in the church and he said, you know what, I am my own disciple. <laughs> I am my own disciple. And it's funny, but I appreciate it because at least it's honest. And a lot of us are like, I'm my own priest. I, I'm my own mediator. I'm going to represent myself. And we may not say it like that. We might not be that honest with ourselves. But this is what we do. This is what all of us do. We try to make God happy with our mess. We try to clean things up. We promise again and again, I'm going to come to church. I'm going to serve. I'm going to get my heart right. I'm going to fix myself. Oh, now I'm going to do it. I got my Jesse tree. I'm going to read my scriptures with my kids. We're going to be a Christian home. I know it. We're going to do X, Y, and Z. And what I want you to hear is that faithfulness is not a long checklist where you just do X, Y, Z, A through Z. Faithfulness is looking at Jesus Full of faith. Faithfulness, according to the Bible, is having your heart full of faith in the one who cleans you. The one who sacrificed himself for you. The one who can fix you. I need you to hear this, brothers and sisters. The law, your efforts, all your cleaning up, it can't do it. And this is good news for somebody listening online right now. This is good news for somebody in this building right now. Like, I have tried to clean myself up. I have tried to fix my life. I have tried and tried and tried. And I want you to hear this right now. God is just telling you, you are more concerned with you being faithful, you being able to, this is part of us that just wants to be able to have somewhere on the document where we added something to our story where we're okay with like, well, God did so much for me and he saved me. But there's a few sentences I added. I did something. I did something to get saved. I did something to earn the blessings I have in my life. And it doesn't work like that. You have to receive the gift of God. And then, and then, when you are looking to Jesus as your high priest, when you are looking to Jesus as the one who never dies, the one after the order of Melchizedek, the one who blesses you, do you hear that? Stop trying to go like, I want to bless God. It's so clear in the scriptures. Who blesses who? The one with the strength blesses the one with the weakness. So go to God and ask him to bless you. What do we read in this text? Jesus is a high priest who always lives to pray for you. Do you understand that? He's praying for you right now as you listen to me. He's praying for you when you go to bed. He's praying for you when you're sinning, when you're getting high, when you're getting drunk, when you're looking at porn, when you're cheating on your wife, when you're cheating on your husband, when you're out wiling out. He's praying for you. Come back. And what he wants from you is not for you to come to him with your record, not for you to come with him with your CV, I did X, Y, and Z. This is what God wants for you. He wants you to look to him. And this is what faithfulness means, brothers and sisters, to have our hearts full of faith in the faithful one. Amen? Oh, let me pray for us. God, I thank you that you purify us. You're a priest who's praying. You're a priest who doesn't die. 
You're a priest who was also the sacrifice. You are a priest after the order of Melchizedek. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for moving King David to see what couldn't have been seen by human eyes. That this Melchizedek, this this Canaanite priest... This remnant of the worshiper of the Most High God wasn't just a random story of conquest and a random story in the Old Testament, but was pointing out who the Messiah would be like. Thank you that Jesus is more Melchizedek than Melchizedek was. Thank you. Lord, I pray, Father, we would just see, we just have eyes to see how glorious you are, how beautiful you are, how good you are. I pray, Lord, that we would dig deeper and deeper into your word. I pray right now that we wouldn't be tempted to look at all of the laws, all of the priesthood, and and, and think like, oh, how do I do that? I want to learn more about that and do that. I pray that we would study the feast. We would study the Old Testament. We'd study your word. We'd know about your word and the history, but we would know about it. And it would be something that causes us to just be blown away by your love. God, we're so concerned with fixing our lives and we're so concerned with improving and getting more and more mature or whatever we call it. And you just want to be a part of our life. You want to pray with us. You want to have your presence come in to our lives. You you want to fill us with love and joy. And we just want to get on that hamster wheel. We want to to try our best to make things better. And God, I pray we would give up that fight and just let you work in us and let you clean us. Let you be our priest. Oh, Lord, I pray for Epiphany Church that we would not try to be our own priests and we wouldn't be our own disciples, but we would be disciples of you. I pray we would not have the heart of Peter who's like, no, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. God, kill our pride. Kill the pride in us that pushes you at arm's length because we want to contribute to our own salvation. Lord, would you do this in us? Amen.